Good morning. Everybody doing well today? Yeah. Yeah. Another day to be alive and to follow Jesus. That's always good. And to know Christ personally, that should give us a spring in our step every morning when we get out of bed because we know Jesus, uh, the hope of the world. As we've been plowing through this book, which is a good book, uh, it's Paul's last letter. He's lonely, he's isolated, he's in prison, and he's passing off some truths to a younger Timothy so that he can continue the work. And as we run this race, we have an enemy that works overtime to trip us up. Any of you ever get tired of it? <laughs> it's like, oh man, I can't wait till I get to heaven. I have to deal with temptation, all these trials, struggles. And, and it's almost like this gnawing uh, dog, little dog that just keeps grabbing a hold of your pant leg and just, you just want to give him a kick and let him go. But as long as we're on this side of heaven, we have an enemy who wants to get us out of our lane, who wants to distract us, who wants to try to block us. But the truth is, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. There will be moments though, let's be, let's be brutally honest, when it feels like you can't go on anymore where you're overwhelmed, where it just seems like that day that you're in has been the hardest day of your life. And the truth is, Paul says there will be times that you'll be overwhelmed to the point of death, but don't give up because Christ can walk us through that. And in the end, we win too. The enemy has strategic schemes to trip you up. And they're not unique. If you have it, someone else has it. And he's been doing it, but he's very, very good at it. If you've been doing something since the foundation of the world, you get pretty good at it. You spend time doing something for a few years, you get good at it. If you, you have a trade or skill, you get good at it. So he, he's good at it. He has demons that help him. So he uses things to distract us. And we get them in a variety of ways. I'm an Apple user. I have an Apple computer, an Apple iPhone, I have an Apple laptop. I think I've been saved and redeemed. That's why I use Apple. But in any case, um, I just alienated a, a large portion of our church, but I don't care. I'm just telling the truth. No. But if you have an Apple computer, you don't necessarily deal with viruses as much as you do on other computers. But you deal with a thing called malware. And so malware comes in different forms and and it just shows up and once it gets on your computer, it tries to distract you. It's like, there it is again, just gnawing at you. And I don't know if you realize this, but it's happened to me a few times. And if you've ever had this happen on my computer, I have this search engine that shows up from time to time. It looks just like Google, same colors. It says search instead of Google. Maybe you have it on your computer and you don't even know it. But the reality is it, it appears and it slows down your computer and you can't search like you want to. It doesn't show your Google mail and it just shows up and it's, it comes like, oh boy, here we go again. But when you become familiar with it, you realize you have to do something. So I'll call Scott Devlin in and I'll say, Scott, I got the malware and he'll come in and He's very good with computers and, um, and he sits at my desk and I say, how long will this take? He said, it'll take some time and he types in some computer code and blah, blah, blah and he sits there and smiles and, and meanwhile, I'm distracted because this malware, I wanna get this done and sooner or later he fixes it and before you know it, it's back. And the truth is, it's much like the enemy is if you think you're good today, something will come tomorrow where he tries to trip you up. And so Paul looks at young Timothy and he says, hey, something's coming, be prepared. Look for these false teachers. These are the things I see in the world today. These are the things that try to trip you up and when they come, flee from them. Grab your Bibles and I'll show you what he's talking about, Second Timothy chapter two. And we're gonna read verses 14 through 19 to start, and I ask you to stand as we read it. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 through 19. Paul is reminding Timothy that the enemy works overtime to trip you up, and sometimes he's going to show us that we give in. But let's read verses 14 to 19. Would you read it with me? 
ready, read. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It's of no value. And only, listen, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, still with his inscription. The Lord knows those who are his and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. You may have a seat. He names these distractions. He names these things that try to trip us up and are trying to trip up Timothy and the Christians of this day. And so he says to young Timothy, relentlessly avoid godless chatter. And I wanna say grace community in our world, relentlessly avoid godless chatter. Paul tells Timothy to warn his people and I'm trying to do the same today in an encouraging way to not quarrel over things that lead to division. And he says it during this time it was happening. And he says it's of no value to have godless chatter and to, to be involved in foolish arguments. During this time there was a, a philosophy that was surfacing called Gnosticism. And every season, every decade, every generation, every church, every period of time that you're in there's something that will surface that will try surface that'll try to get our attention all on that so that we get off the rails and out of the lane that we're in and Gnosticism during this time would argue that there's no bodily resurrection when a person dies it doesn't happen until uh, uh, later and, and and so they they, they argued and they argued and they argued and they argued and, and the tenants were there and, and, and the reality is it became such a dividing thing, Gnosticism. That was one of the thousand pieces of Gnosticism. But the truth is there's always something that will take place that will cause division. And Paul is saying, have nothing to do with things that aren't really that important. I wonder how many conversations we got involved in this week that are of zero value. <laughs> I wonder how much times you use your thumbs this week of zero value. I wonder how many times you're on your keyboard and the conversations were of zero value. I wish we could carry signs when those conversations surface on social media with a circle and a slash through it that said no value. And we just pop that up. I wish there was a, instead of a smiley face or thumbs up, it was no value. And that's what Paul is saying. It is of no value to engage, but some, please, some of you, you get sucked right in to this godless chatter. And while we should be running this race and giving everything we have for Jesus, we stall in our lane with godless chatter. When truth can only be found in Jesus, many have exasperated the situ situation by the way they have lived out their faith journeys. And I would say this, never in my lifetime, I feel like I'm saying that often, but I believe this, never in my lifetime has our world been more divided because of word fights. Never. I've never seen a time when our world's been more divided because of word fights. And Satan is snickering right now and it ticks me off. Can I just say this? And I wish this could stick to me and stick to your minds and psyche and the spirit of God would let it just resonate the rest of your lifetime and my lifetime. Can we please, please put an end to the whole no mask and mask, vaccine and no vaccine, love your neighbor, you don't love your neighbor, fights and unite around the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can we please, Grace, please, hear me. You don't need to comment on somebody that's on a different side than you. Let's unite around Jesus. <laughs> Let's spend our time focusing on Christ. Can, can I just tell you something in case you haven't learned this? You're not gonna convince anybody with your view on Facebook. They're not gonna change because of something you say. Can I get it, amen? amen? So the next time you think your video, your facts, 
your conversation is going to make a difference for those who differ than you, hear me out. Listen, listen, it won't happen. It's of zero value. If you want to get passionate about something, get passionate about Jesus Christ. Tell the world how he's the hope of the world and, 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 and we can navigate through this with Jesus and there's life beyond earth and, and we want you to come with us because there's an eternity with a God who loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus and, and you can live beyond the grave and the exit plan in Christ means eternal life. Now that would be a breath of fresh air to the social media world, wouldn't it? Listen, you can do that. It's of no value. Let that sink in for a second when he says godless chatter is of no value. That means every post, every comment, every Google search, every shared video, please stop sending them to me, please. <laughs> every sign, please, did you hear me? Please stop sending them to me. Every sign, every bumper sticker, every red flag and every blue flag, every evil word spoken against another brother or sister, every email shared, every meeting, every moment you have walked away with a zinger line and you feel good about it, every family member you have alienated, every person you have wronged with your words, every person you have slandered, Every word of gossip is zero value. Why? Because it doesn't focus on Jesus Christ. And the enemy, he's slick, isn't he? He's pretty slick. I, sometimes I call him slick. He's slick. Because he knows how to ruffle our feathers, doesn't he? He knows what gets you going. Listen, don't let him. It's of no value. Some have lost their way in their final lap. Have we believed a lie? Have we been deceived by the enemy? Have we stalled in our races over word fights? If you don't see what's happening, take a look at our world. Our word fights has isolated us from those who don't know Christ. We are now more afraid even to have conversations. Are you seeing it? Because he doesn't want truth to go forward. We have drive-throughs instead of sit-down places. We have separated distances. We have plastic shields. I'll I, I just be honest, I can hardly understand people. I know because of my age, when someone talks with a mask on, I'm straining. And often I feel like I'm begging them to say it again and I, I'm interested, but the very things that used to be available to us are alienating us. You know what I do? I reach behind plastic shields now and high five people. <laughs> <laughs> we have people gathered in rooms who are all alone. We have independent operators and the enemy loves it. Why? Because of our words and we've separated ourselves. Yesterday morning I watched something beautiful happen at Goshen High School on the track for 24 hours from yesterday at 8 a.m. to this morning at 8 a.m. Destiny Rescue had an incredible event where you could go and walk and run and they had a fundraiser for Destiny Rescue which rescues children from human trafficking. It's a great cause and many of you are women our flourish women and our fight club men jumped into that battle and, and we believe that was a good cause. And because of your willingness to raise support and to give, I was just looking, it hasn't all been tabulated, but fight club men and their, their friends and family and children raised $45,000 to rescue. And then we met yesterday. I, I loved it. We went to this track, some people walked, some people ran. Some people were talking along the way and I thought, that's a little picture of heaven right here. <laughs> Fighting for a good cause and, and doing it for the cause of Jesus Christ. I wrapped it up last night at an incredible worship gathering with Gap Ministries and I listened to testimonies of what's happening in Haiti and 
and I was blessed by the musicians and their humbleness and and I was sitting on this hill at Nick and Shanae Miller's house and, and I looked around me, it was the body of Christ gathering and worshiping. I thought, this is a little taste of heaven. We're uniting it for a good cause. Like, let's unite around Jesus' causes. <laughs> and so Paul says to young Timothy, don't get distracted by this godless chatter. Word fights only ruins those who listen to them. Imagine all the people that are being ruined by those empty word fights, families and churches and workplaces. And I think we've lost our voice because of them. No one wants to listen to anyone who just goes on and on debating about COVID. Listen to me. You want to run your race and while you're running, you want to invite people in your lane. And the only way you do it is that you focus on Jesus Christ. I feel like I need to speak when we talk about godless chatter to the gossip. In James chapter 3, James says this about our words. And I want you to turn to James chapter 3. And just look what James says about our words. He says in verse 6, he says in verse 6, the tongue also is a fire. A world of evil among the parts of the body. He says, our tongues corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on what? What's it say? Fire. fire. And is itself set on fire by hell. Gossip is a dangerous word chatter. And I wrote down some thoughts that maybe will the spirit of God will use to affirm or convict or maybe challenge us. Gossip is when you hear something you like about someone you don't. Think about that for a second. Oh, you don't really like that person, but oh, I didn't realize that. And you find yourself secretly liking, you see, you could even just listen to it and it could be gossip. One person said this in regards to words and gossip. They said, great minds discuss ideas. Average minds discuss events. Small minds discuss people. Great minds discuss ideas. Average minds discuss events. And small minds discuss people. Gossip needn't be to be false, to be evil either, I should say. There's a lot of truth that shouldn't be passed around. Gossip needing to be false, to be evil. There's a lot of truth that you shouldn't be sharing about other people. If you are constantly looking at the deficiencies of people, don't be shocked when you begin to speak against them. And that's what happens when you're constantly looking for a fault in someone. You'll find them. But if that's all you do, you, you, what will happen is you'll start talking badly about that person. In marriages, let me just say, quit always looking at the deficiencies of your husband and wife. Spend as much time pointing out what they do well instead of what they, the one thing they've done wrong. And lastly, I'll say this in regards to words. When you fill your life with meaningful kingdom work, you have no room for gossip. <laughs> Maybe, as Paul was saying to young Timothy, don't be involved in these godless, quarrelsome conversations on Gnosticism or anything. Focus on and stand firm in Jesus. Spurgeon said this long ago, and this is a good word for you and for me today in regards to how we think. He says, if any man thinks ill of you, don't be angry with him, for you are worse than he thinks you to be. And if he charges you falsely at some point, yet be satisfied, for if he knew you better, he might change the accusation. The truth is, we're only good because of Jesus, and we have faults. But he says this in verse 15. He says, in light of all these things happening, Tim, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. When I was a kid, I memorized this in the King James, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman who needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So we should find approval in God's eyes. We need to present ourselves in our race 
So that when God sees our walks, he approves of what we say. He approves of what we're invested in. He approves of the decisions we make. He says, so run in such a way that you seek the approval, present yourselves to God in such a way that the works you do, 1 Corinthians 3 says, it's a fire test that the works we do, some will be burned up, but the ones that survive will go on and will get crowns and pass them on to him. But he said, present yourselves, examine to see if you and I are living up to the standards of God. So the questions are, Do you carry your weight in this race? Is the rest of the team working harder than you? Do you do the bare minimum in this race for Jesus? Do people say you have a great work ethic for, listen to me, for Jesus? Do you give your best for the cause of Christ? Does the output of your life match the number of years of experience? We have quality control everywhere. Our son Isaiah is is working quality control engineering with Dana Corporation now in in Fort Wayne. That's his job. And and so a product comes through, Dana, we would say the the drive trains. and, And so they have to look at the product and determine why there was a fault in it but they want to prove the product before it's delivered to the manufacturer that puts them in the vehicles because a faulty product hurts the manufacturer and the cell of that. And so we need to have good quality control in our own lives. He says, does it pass the standard that Jesus has set for you? So he says, study, dig in, find out what it means to be a Christ follower. Present yourself in such a way that it really makes a difference. And so how do you do that? I think you live by faith. When I look at the standards in the Bible, and I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11, I just want to show you a repeating phrase that occurs in Hebrews chapter 11. And so just open your Bible to Hebrews 11, and I would say this. It says, by faith men gain God's approval. In fact, it says in chapter 11, this is what the ancients were commended for. One translation has approved for. Just just do a little follow along with me. And here's what it was. Look at verse three. By faith we understand. It says, verse four, by faith Abel. Abel. Verse five, by faith Enoch. Verse seven, by faith Noah. Verse eight, by faith Abraham. Verse 11, by faith Sarah. Just look, look on. Look what it says in verse 17. By faith Abraham. Verse 20, by faith Isaac. Verse 21, by faith, Jacob. Verse 22, by faith, Joseph. Verse 25, it says, by faith, or three, Moses. Verse 24, by faith, Moses again. And if you look at verse 20, 29, by faith, the people passed through the Red Sea. Verse 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho were built. Verse 31, by faith, the prostitute Rahab. And if you read on, it says, I do not have time to talk, but all through faith, and the world was not worthy of them. It's by faith that we're approved by God. So in this race, how much of this race includes you trusting in God and taking a step of faith? Saying, Lord, I'm giving up this and this and this for you and I trust by faith that this will take place. Approval ratings are how we buy products. In fact, if you've ever bought something on Amazon, and I have and you have too, I often go to the the comment section to see the reviews. And so I'll click on reviews and I'll read about the product before I buy it to see what kind of review it got. And if it has a five-star review, I'll follow down and I'll look because to me that determines if someone is using it, then there's, there's a reason that it's a good product. I don't know if you've ever done this, but sometimes in my free time, I did this for five minutes this week in my free time, and I did a search. It's fun, by the way, if you ever want to have some fun, if you just need some no brain time, just search on the internet, funny reviews on Amazon. Just, just do that. Best reviews. And so I did it this week, and, and this popped up, a review for this. Take a look at that thing. That was the product, and this is the review that I read, and it made me chuckle, and it's good to laugh from time to time. But this is a review of that product. It's by Christy, 
who is a girl, and it says this. This was her review. Receive this knife as a gift for my 18th birthday. Wish I had known, had known what it was because as soon as I touched it, I grew a mustache and became a Navy SEAL. <laughs> she says, mom fainted and dad laughed and handed me a beer. I was born a girl though, she said. <laughs> I wonder what people will say about our, that's funny by the way, I don't care who you are. I wonder how people will review us. Paul says to young Timothy, you know where you need your review done? You need approval by God. And my Bible and your Bible says by faith, by faith. You know the people who are heroes of our faith who will stand with us, you know why? Because by faith, they stepped out. By faith, they did something hard for Jesus. We can't let the things of this world distract us in order for us to run this race the way God wants us to. If you're distracted and you let the enemy and these godless chatter conversations take place, you won't hear the whispers. If you're listening to the roar, you're going to miss the whisper. I can think back and analyze in our, in our marriage and our, our lives and our, even our children as we raised them at home. The moments where God was clearest and it wasn't, didn't make it easy was when we were most in tune to him and listening to him. I remember feeling the call towards ministry. We, I was working in Hagerstown and as a carpenter and running the Hagerstown Teen Center and I was an elder in the local church and Ann was serving and, and I rolled my ankle in one of the nights in the teen center and I had to take off work for a week. And so we decided we had always talked about, talked about, talked about, talked about, talked about, talked about, one day, one day, one day, one day, we should check into this. And so God brought that one day to our doorstep and we made the 10 hour trek from Hagerstown to Winona Lake, Indiana. Because we had talked about maybe one day pursuing more school. And God had been sending signs along the way, Jim, you ought to think about being a pastor. Jim, you ought to think about being a pastor. So he literally got my attention by saying, you will think about being a pastor now. And so we listened. But I remember going into that admission office with Ann and Josh was six months old and Ann was holding Josh. And, and they laid out this plan for a seminary degree. And I remember sitting in there and everything was quiet. And it was as if no one was in the room except for me and God. And I remember walking outside and wondering, oh, I hope Ann heard what I heard. <laughs> and we walked outside of this room and we went out in the hallway after hearing this information and we both looked at each other and we said, are you thinking what I'm thinking? <laughs> and we never said a word up to that point. Are you feeling what I'm feeling? Is God telling you what God is telling me? And I said, yeah. And we both looked at each other and said, we need to move to Winona Lake and Grace College. And we need to pursue school for ministry so I can become a pastor. Is that what you heard? That's what I heard, baby. Maybe God is whispering. Maybe, just maybe, we're not hearing because we're too distracted with godless chatter. Paul is saying, don't let that happen to you, Tim. He's so serious about it that in verse 16 he says this, he says, avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. It poisons the church. Could it be in this social media decade we added more to the mess than we've realized? Maybe we need to add the filter of God's word to our thumbs <laughs> before we hit sin. Paul would say in Philippians 4, if you want to think on something and fill your minds, think on things that are true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. Think about such things. 
Nevertheless, he says this in verse 19. Look how he says this. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm. We never have to worry about him. It's sealed with this inscription. He says, the Lord knows who are, who are his. It's, it, it, it's not a sovereignty issue. It's a sanctification issue. In other words, we have to progressively look more like Christ. And it says, the Lord knows who are his. Everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. We must turn away from our evil ways. There has been a cultural shift. Let me speak philosophy for a second. There has been a cultural shift that has taken place in the last 10 months in our world. Hear me out. In 10 months, our culture has shifted 10 years. And let me just speak some truth. We won't go back to what we were ever. And if you wanna go back, it's not going to happen. We are 10 years advanced, not only in America, but internationally. Things that were, will never be. Listen, you want normal back, it's not going to happen the way it was. And so if you're clinging and holding on to that, listen, you will miss, you have just missed 10 years of advancement in culture. The way you used to fly, the way you used to work, the way you used to get food, the way it used to happen. Listen, it won't happen again the same. But hear me out. Jesus is still relevant in the 10-year shift in culture. And we aren't hopeless. Listen, we're on the winning team. And just because everything else is advancing and spinning forward quickly, it doesn't matter to us. We still have hope in Jesus Christ. And Paul says, listen, Tim, be relevant in who you are. My hope is this, however, that we don't allow our freedoms to strip us of our unique differences that we possess as Christ followers. There are things and I understand this. I'm trying to be a culturally relevant follower of Christ. It's challenging in our day. There are things that, I, that, that now that Christians do that, that they never did when I was a kid. And what has happened is this. Hear me out. Listen, I'm talking philosophically. The pendulum has swung so far from legalism to what we would say Christian freedom that we need to bring this back and be uniquely different. We are more like the world and its practices than we've ever been that we don't even have a distinct difference in the way we live our lives. There must be uniqueness to a Christian. And it's more than just our attitude, it's in our practices. I understand why. Listen, I was raised this way. And to be quite frank, it was probably good for me that there were rules <laughs> that I needed to follow. But because of legalism, it has now shifted to freedom in Christ. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you had a conversation with someone about crucifying your flesh? We don't even talk about that. We talk about, I got freedom in Christ. I can do this. I can go there. I can eat this. I can buy that. I can drink this. I have freedom in Christ. Yes, we do. But don't swing so far that it's not different than someone who doesn't know Christ. And listen to me, it has swung 10 years in 10 months. And maybe you're like me at times and you're thinking, I don't fit into this world. Guess what? That's okay. You're not meant to fit. This isn't home. Heaven's home. My hope is that we don't lose the message because of the way we live our lives. Paul says, turn away from wickedness, not towards it. The Bible is the filter for your freedom. Hear me out, not culture. The Bible is your freedom, not culture. Because culture says it okay, doesn't mean that's your freedom. In our pursuit of relevance, maybe we've lost our uniqueness. When I was in ninth grade, 
I went out for the ninth grade basketball team in my school. And so, and, and there were a lot of guys, 50 guys that went out for this team and they were keeping 12, so there was 38 cuts. And so if you're gonna make this team in the high school that I was at, you want it to listen to the coach because you want it to gain his approval for your performance. And I'll never forget, it's, it was drilled in my head 1975, 76, and it had stayed with me throughout my whole life and even to this day. But I remember the, one of the first times he pulled us together and he said, guys, what is this? And we said, it's a basketball. And then he said this, whose basketball is it? Some guy said, you know, said the name of it. In this case, they, they might have said Spalding. And he said, no, it's ours. He said, when you play a game, this is your ball. It's not the other team's ball. No, yeah, coach, we know that. No, he said, this is your ball. And wherever that ball is, you go get it. He says, and if the other team has the ball, it's not his ball, it's your ball. You take it from him. And he says, when you have the ball, he says, you don't turn it over to the other team. Because why? It's your ball. And he says, when there is a shot taken, you go and get the rebound. Why? Because it's your ball. It's not his ball. And he says, if someone on your team shoots it, you go for an offensive rebound and grab it. Why? Because it's your ball. He said, every time you see the ball on the court, what are you going to do? He said, we said, we're going to get the ball. And then he said this, he said, whomever has the ball in their control for the majority of the game wins the game. So get the ball. As a 15-year-old kid, I heard that. And so our coach and our team played differently than other teams. And here's why I believe it, because our coach told, it's ours. It's not the enemies, it's ours. <laughs> And so when we would play games, we would play defense. And if you ever play basketball, we say baseline from down under their basket to down under your basket. And as soon as the other team got the ball, you know what we did? We guarded. And we would, and as soon as they tried to bring the ball up court, we would guard them. We would try to take the ball back. Why? Because that's my ball. That was drilled into my head and, and that competitive edge Listen to me, and I say this as kindly as it, we've lost our competitive edge in our run for Jesus Christ. In a world that wants to give participation trophies, it has bled over into our walks with Jesus. A few years ago, I was playing in a church league basketball game at 54 years old, and I was guarding my guy, and so, the guy was throwing it in and I was guarding him, denying the pass. And as soon as he got it, I got on him, was trying, and he's dribbling up the court. He says, what is your problem? <laughs> I looked at him and said, that's my ball. <laughs> you see, what happens is we've lost that edge in this race. Satan comes along the way and and he wants to distract us and he wants to push us back. And what we need to tell him is, it's not your ball. <laughs> and I will fight tooth and nail for my lane. And I will run in the power of the God who lives in me and you will not stop me. What would happen in our walks? if we took some simple truths and said, he gave me the ball from the foundation of the world. He put me on his team. He sent Jesus to the cross for my life. I'm on team Jesus. I will not let the enemy have this ball. I'll tell you what will happen. <laughs> the kingdom of Jesus Christ would be advanced people need truth wrapped in love in a culture that elevates compliance and tolerance the truth has been stretched 
well, I just want to be relevant and I, I, just, I just want to be tolerant and I just want to be compliant and I just, I, just, I, just want, I, just, I just want them to love me. Listen to me. You know what's happened to truth in our world? We need to bring it back and say, this is truth, not that version you have. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Paul wraps this section up by saying in a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver but also of wood and clay, some for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes. He's referring to a toilet. His reference is sometimes, you know, we're messed up and in order to be used, we need to allow him to cleanse us. And if you had a portable toilet that you took somewhere and, and you did your business, you wouldn't put H2O in behind it and gurgle and drink from it unless you had Nick Miller clean it for you. <laughs> he says you need to clean up. Turn from that junk so that this vessel can be used for good. But it's gradual, isn't it? Tolerance and compliance and, well, I'm just, just, I just agree a little bit. And before we know it, it's a gradual decline. It's a slow fade. But what happens to lost people, C.S. Lewis said many years ago, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. You just become compliant and tolerant. And my fear is that we aren't giving the world a victorious example to want to run to. In our desire to reach the world, we look more like the world than we do Jesus. And may it never be said of us that we fit in more than we stand out. So he tells Timothy, here's what you should do. Verse 22, flee the evil desires of youth. Put, I would say, put childish ways behind you and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. In other words, surround yourselves with those who are pursuing those things too. Third time he says this. Look, look at verse 23. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. It's the Greek word moronic, <laughs> foolish, because you know they produce quarrels. In other words, stop the word fights and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Verse 25, he says, opponents must be gently instructed in hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. In other words, love people while you're doing it. Be kind. It's God's kindness that leads to repentance. And then he says in closing, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. The world that you and I live in, let's face it, here's how I would describe our world. Tired. Amen? Amen. Weary. Hopeless. Bewildered. Divided. Angry. Isolated. We've been duped by the enemy. Yet I believe this with all of my heart, that if the world was to see a spirit-filled, joy-filled, faith-filled by faith, Christian, who is not chained down by despair and discouragement, they will flock to them because those runners know Jesus. Maybe we have become too attached to the world. I believe all our shortcomings and our failures and distractions stem from a citizenship issue. We used to call it identity issues. She has identity issues. She needs to know who she, he needs to know who he is. It's, it's far beyond that. It's citizenship issues. 
We forgot that we're citizens of heaven and we think we're citizens of earth and we keep trying to fit in, buy in, work in this world when we will never fit, when in reality we fit in, we work in, we are in a place called heaven and that's where our citizenship is. You will never fit in here. And by the way, it's okay. So, because Satan hates us, he's determined to rob us of his, the joy we'd have if we believe what God tells us about the magnificent world to come. Ah, don't get too attached to this world. Don't get distracted in these godless conversations. The best is yet to come. And his name is Jesus Christ. <laughs> Keep reminding people, Paul said, he said, Tim, when you preach, keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It's of no value. I tried my best today. The best is yet to come. And if you think this strategy of the enemy is going to keep you down, listen to me, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Our God can do the impossible. Oh Lord, help us to know that and believe that today. Help us to live in such a way that the world is one to Christ. Help us to protect the ball in our lane. Let's defend it by faith. Let's not get distracted with the schemes of the enemy. Let's not add to the weariness and hopelessness in our world. May we allow you, Holy Spirit, to filter our thumbs and our words. And may we be reminded of how good it is to know you. That you, God, are the God of the impossible. And we, as your children, can run this lap with power because you are with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Sing about the hope that we have in Jesus. no shadow that has ever overcome your life. There is no rival that could ever stand against your mind. You've always been with us. Every battle you've already won, so we've already won. no weapon that has ever left its mark on you. There is no army with the power to conquer truth. You've always been with us. Every battle you've already won, so we've already won. Sing this out, come on. So show me
fear I will turn into praise Shake off despair as I sing out your name Oh victory dancer, come on! You will crush disappointment and break every chain All my fear I will turn into praise Shake off despair as I sing out your name Oh victory dancer, I will dance out in faith You will crush disappointment and break change the world around us because we believe it. Amen? Amen? All right, let's go. Hey, don't forget those bubbles on your way out. Grab them and let's, let's bring some lightness and some fun to our neighbors and our neighborhoods this week.